So it is good to see the Kecks with us, and uh, it is a joy this morning to be able to share with you that Bob and Barbara were once upon a time members of this congregation and have become members again. And so I want to announce that they, along with Ron Bolson, now are full communing members of Bay Presbyterian Church. Dr. Rick Wilson, who's back there, also reaffirmed his faith, but we're holding him off a little bit because we're going to present him, along with his wife, Wendy, and their four-year-old son, Reed, for baptism coming up in October. So we'll look forward to that and hold him just a little bit in limbo. But want to welcome, especially right now, the Kecks and Ron Bolsom as members of Bay Presbyterian Church. I told the Kecks the only person by the last name Keck that I ever knew was a director of missions for the Southern Baptist Convention for Stanley County, North Carolina, back years ago. And I'd been at lunch with him and some other ministers uh, a few times, and I uh, was talking with him, and I said, uh, that's a pretty cool name, Mac Keck. And he said, yeah, but he said, Mac's just a short name. I said, what's your whole first name? He said, Womack. And I said, wow, that is a great name. <laughs> but a dear brother of the Lord. So it was good to be able to come down here and meet more people with the last name Keck, but we'll have to work on the Womack part. Well, in our last message, talking about our vision and values, which I certainly haven't covered exhaustively, this morning I want to talk about heaven, because we all need to think about where we're going. After all, you need to consider, where are you going to be when you get where you're going? We're all facing a destination. It's just a matter of what that destination is. And so today, thinking about what the Lord Jesus has done for us, Let's think about heaven. Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse 1, is where we will find our scripture reading. And so I encourage you to listen as I read this passage from God's word. John, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, an apostle sent out by him, once upon a time on the Isle of Patmos, was enabled to see what no eye could have seen except that the Lord removed the veil so that John was able to see beyond what we now can perceive, and he caught a glimpse of heaven itself. And we read about that in chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the give of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. As the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. And so my destination on a Sunday morning 33 years ago after I had started at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, never having been away from my home on Hyatt Creek for more than three weeks in my whole life, there I was in the flat southern country of Mississippi, having been assigned by the practical theology department to preach at a little country church in Coatopa, Alabama. I was making my way on Interstate 20 out to Alabama trying to figure out if I could find my way to Coatopa. This was in a day without GPS. I simply had a set of directions and one of those maps that I bet kids now don't even know how to fold. (laughs) You know, that was a real achievement. I remember my daddy teaching me how to fold a map, and when I finally got it, that was something. These kids these days, they they don't know how to do that. But I did. So with a map in hand and directions, I found my way turning down one country road, then another country road, and then I found myself on a road that was unpaved. Now, that's not unusual. I grew up on a dirt road. You had to turn onto a dirt road and then another dirt road and then our driveway to get to our house. And so that was okay, but I wasn't used to that down there in that part of the country. And dirt roads look different in the flat country than they do in the mountains. And so I just wasn't sure if I was going to the right place until I finally saw a little white clapboard frame building ahead in my windshield, and thankfully, I actually saw a few people around it, and I got out of the car, and I asked them if this was the Presbyterian Church in Coatopa, and they said, yes, it was, and I said, good, I'm glad to see some Presbyterians here, and the man looked at me, and he said, we're Baptist, (laughs) and I said, what meaneth thou this, (laughs) and he said, well, He said, we're a little country community, and there aren't as many folks living here as there used to be. So he said, we have to take turn about. He said, you're going to be preaching Presbyterians this morning, but there's also going to be Baptists and Methodists in the group. He said, we just take turns meeting in one church or the other in the course of a month. And this happens to be the Presbyterian week. And, well, they didn't have a real preacher, and we've got you. That was, John said he had a similar experience. Well, there you go. Well, that was one Sunday. I wasn't sure if I was going to get where I was going. All of us in life are on our way to a destination. It is inevitable. We do not live here forever. Even though we may diet and exercise and do all of those wonderful things that we can do to prolong life. In fact, I was talking to Dr. Poland just before Sunday school, and we were talking about how people are living longer than ever before, and How extraordinary it is to see people celebrating birthdays and anniversaries of such such great length. And yet, the end inevitably comes. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. And all of us need to recognize that this life is temporary. We are here. As James says, life is but a vapor. Here for a moment, and then it vanishes away. And so gathering here in this worship service, all of us have somewhere that we've come from today. We're going to be going somewhere afterwards, probably to eat lunch, whether at home or elsewhere. 
But we have to think beyond that and consider for a moment just what our ultimate destination is. And so as John reveals to us what had been revealed to him, I would first of all point out that for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, home is heaven and heaven is a place. Now, we're not going to see it with our telescopes. We're not going to be able to get there by way of launching a spacecraft from Cape Canaveral. But nevertheless, heaven is a place. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14 to his disciples, just prior to his betrayal and his crucifixion, let not your hearts be troubled. Think about that. Think about Jack and Kathy today. Think about a whole host of others. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, there are many dwelling places, or in the King James, which I prefer, many mansions. The point is, there's plenty of room, there's plenty of space. We're not going to be limited. We're not going to get there and find that the rent has suddenly gone up or we can't afford it, or that we're limited on space and we're going to be relegated to some corner in a basement. There's plenty of room and it's a place. And we can be guaranteed that it is a place worth going to, because the Lord Jesus has gone there to prepare it, and he doesn't do anything in half measures. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and he's already said he's going, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, unless the Lord Jesus has deceived us, and we know he has not, he is the truth, and he spoke nothing but truth. We know that heaven is a place. It is a destination. It is a location. John was able to see it because God enabled him. He removed the barrier. He removed the veil. It's not a matter of distance. It's a matter of being able to see what is invisible to our eyes here, but is a reality nevertheless. I mean, after all, at this moment, there are all kinds of images and sounds swirling all around us. We can't see them or hear them. But if we had the proper equipment, a television, a radio, we would pick up the signal. We would be able to see it. It would suddenly become obvious to us that the signal is there all the time. When you turn your television off, it doesn't mean the signal stops. They're, they're broadcasting that stuff into the air and on, over cable and by Wi-Fi all the time. You have to have the proper equipment to be able to see it. The invisible realm is there. The heavenly host and all that heaven is, is there. We simply are unable to see it at the moment because our lack of ability prevents it. But the day is coming when we will see. The other thing that we need to recognize, as John was able to see all of this, is that heaven is a gift and you can't earn it or deserve it. Now, there are many people in the world today who think they're going to get to heaven because they're good enough. Because somehow the good outweighs the bad. They're hoping and thinking that even though they realize they're imperfect, at least most people do, every once in a while you'll run into somebody who thinks they've never done anything wrong. You better be careful around people like that. Most people think that standing there on the judgment day or otherwise that the good is going to outweigh the bad enough so that they're going to be let in. But they're failing to take into account their true sinfulness. 
The only way that we can gain heaven is if God gives it to us. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, is a gospel in a single verse, and it says, For the wages of sin is death. That's what you get if you want what you've earned. Do you hear me? Yes, there's some good, as judged by people, mingled in with the things in your life. But if you are going to think about what you've earned, if you want to know what your wages are after a lifetime, what we earn is death because of our sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I don't want what I've earned. I don't want to attain what I could work for because it would never gain me entrance to heaven. I want what the Lord Jesus has earned. I want what his life has brought. And that is everlasting life. Another observation that we need to make about heaven as we think of it being a place and it being a gift is that the true essence of heaven is that it is being in the unveiled presence of God. Now, the Bible makes clear that no one can look upon God and live. His eyes are more pure than can look upon sin because we are in sin, because we've rebelled against him, because our lives are so polluted with sin. We could never hope to stand in his presence. But because the Lord Jesus has interposed himself for us, his own blood for us, and has endured the wrath of God for us, being covered in his righteousness, one day we'll stand faultless before the throne. And that will be a greater joy than we have ever known in this life. Think of all of the joys, the ecstasy that you've experienced in the course of life. Heaven will be greater than all of that combined. That's beyond our ability to comprehend, but it's true. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. We're not waiting for that to happen. If we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. He counts us as his children. We are his children now. Yet, what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know, but rather, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So, think about it. We already are counted as God's children Heaven is our home. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. That's assured you. But it hasn't yet appeared what will be. Look around you. Look at all these fine folks. Now, we've all sort of dressed up this morning, combed our hair, if you had it to comb, (laughs) or brush. And we've tried for the most part to look our best. But listen. Beneath the surface, we're a mess. Because of sin and corruption, because of all the things that are a part of our lives, having inherited it from our original parents and then compounded that sin nature that we've inherited with our own transgressions, it's a whole lot worse than you think. Let me tell you, if you've been to the doctor and your report hadn't gone all that well and you're having to deal with the unknown of what that thing may be that they want to run a test on, I'm telling you, you're a lot worse off than that. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he has conquered all of that. And it cannot and it will not impede your experience of glory because by his grace, you will stand before God 
and you will see him in his unveiled holiness and glory and being clothed in the righteousness of Christ in that moment, you will know more joy than you have ever experienced in this world. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. When I had started at the first church that I pastored 30 years ago, the Westview Presbyterian Church, I served along with some elders there, and one of those men was Cecil Smith. Cecil wasn't even able to finish high school in his day. He had grown up in a mill village, but he was a trained electrician, and he was good at it. And he taught one of our adult Sunday school classes, the one that met in the fellowship hall. And Cecil sometimes would struggle with the pronunciations in the Bible. He would call me up after I got there, and he would ask me, Preacher, how do you say this, and how do you say that? And I would, you know, act like I knew how to pronounce it and would give it to him. Well, one Sunday he had a string of names that were just too much, and so he got... Alexander Scorby on cassette tape reading the King James Bible. And when it came time for the scripture reading, he set this little cassette player up on the table, pressed the play button. He had it cued, and Alexander Scorby read it flawlessly. And when it got to the end of the Sunday school lesson scripture reading, he hit the stop button, and he said, Now there, that's how you say that. After Kathy and I were married, we'd gone off on our honeymoon. We came home within a month or so, Cecil having attended our wedding in the snowstorm that happened. On a Sunday morning, listening to How Great Thou Art, getting ready to teach Sunday school, he got up out of his chair, he started down the hallway, and he never made it to the other end. And as my friend Tinker Henson used to say, he left us. I got the call, and I got to the hospital as quickly as I could. The doctors already knew that Cecil was deceased, and they simply hadn't told his family yet. They wanted me to be there. And so I remember sitting with them when the doctor came out. And I had to leave after having prayer with them and go directly to the church to preach. And I told them that our beloved Cecil had gone home to be with the Lord. And I remember when I preached his sermon for the funeral service, standing up and saying, I don't know what Cecil's doing, but he's had to change jobs. Because the light of heaven is the glory of God, and there is no night there, and there is no darkness. And he is seeing light such as nothing has been produced on earth. The glory of God is what makes heaven, heaven. And we will be before him. We need to recognize that heaven is the immediate destination of believers at death. Now, herein we get into a difference with some who believe in soul sleep. They believe that when you die, not only does your body cease to live, but the soul sleeps and will until the Lord Jesus returns. However, that is at odds with Scripture. The Lord Jesus, in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, assured the thief that was beside him on the cross who professed faith in as much as he was able. Yet he did, and so Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not one day, but today. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, as he's wrestling with this whole issue of 
of being here versus being there. And, of course, we know Paul lived by the adage that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he said, yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's that simple statement. The inference being that at death, the soul departs. The body remains. I know it does because I've preached funerals over scores and scores of them at this point in my life. I know that the body remains here. But the spirit departs and is in the presence of the Lord. How is that so? I can't explain it. I've never seen a disembodied spirit. Oh, I know I've heard it written about. I've. I've watched A Christmas Carol like you have, and I've seen those ghosts come back a thousand times at this point. But all of that's fantasy, fiction. There is a real soul. It goes immediately into the presence of God. That's why the souls of the martyrs are crying out from under the altar in the book of the Revelation, crying out, How long, O Lord? They have been killed on earth. Their souls are there, and they're crying out, How long? So there is... An absence from the body. And believers are present with the Lord when that happens. So our experience of heaven will be immediate. That's why Dwight L. Moody was able to say, one of these days you're going to read in the newspaper that Dwight L. Moody has died. He said, don't you believe a word of it. I will be more alive than I have ever been before. Absent from the body at home with the Lord. It is our immediate destination at death. And yet, The full reality of our heavenly experience will only be realized when Jesus returns. As I've indicated, the souls of the martyrs, those killed because of their faith in Christ, are crying out in heaven. How long, O Lord? Even though they are in heaven, they are still awaiting the judgment. They are still awaiting the vindication. The return of the Lord Jesus when he will be exalted and all the universe will be brought finally and completely under his reign and control. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. This final and ultimate culmination will be the ultimate realization of all that Christ has prepared for us. Those who have departed and gone to heaven will be with him. Those who have remained here will be caught up together with him. Those souls that have departed bodies will be joined together with a gloriously resurrected body. Not like unto the one that they left here in, the one that is encumbered by sickness and pain and cancer and COVID and scores of other ailments. But a resurrected body that will never again Be touched by any such thing. No longer viruses and bacteria. No longer heart ailments and other things that would take life from us. All of that, having been defeated by Christ on the cross, will be no more when the complete realization of his victory comes to fruition. That is the essence of heaven. We'll be living in the victory that Christ has wrought for us. And so the new creation will be the ultimate realization of all that Jesus has done. That's what we've read about here in Revelation chapter 21. It's the realization of what Jesus has done for us. And so the only way to get there is through the Lord Jesus. Now, I've grown up my whole life looking at the moon. 
up there at the head of Oxner Cove on top of our hill out in the front yard at night. I've been there many times, as I have since in other places. I've seen it from our condo right there in Estero, rising in the east at night. That beautiful moon across over top of one of those ponds with the palm trees on it. We've tried to take pictures of it, but, you know, a picture never does it justice. These cameras on our phones are great things, but they really don't do real well for distance photography. But we tried to get a picture of it because it's just so beautiful. And I've looked at that moon, I can't tell you how many times, and I've thought about, man, I'd love, to, I'd love to see it. I'd love to go there. But wanting to go there won't get me there. You know what's required to get you there? Well, NASA would have a word or two to say about that. The Artemis One is going to be launched here soon. It's uh, 322 feet tall. That's right, over 32 stories tall, taller than the Statue of Liberty. 5.8 million pounds is how much it weighs. That's more than eight fully loaded 747s. It's got 2 million pounds of solid propellant. And it's going to take 8.8 .8 million pounds of thrust to leave the atmosphere. It will burn 90,000 gallons of liquid fuel per second. You worried about your eight-cylinder vehicle burning more gas than you want to? <laughs> Try 90,000 gallons. 280,000 miles to a point beyond the moon. That's where it's traveling to. It will travel a total distance of 1.3 million miles by the time it gets back here. It will enter the Earth's atmosphere at 24,500 miles per hour and will experience some 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit as that heat shield strikes the atmosphere. And it's going to take 11 parachutes deployed in precise sequence to slow it to the 17 miles per hour that it will be floating down when it hits the ocean. Lord willing. That is exactly right. Now, what's my point in giving you all of that? I just copied that out of something on the Internet, so I know it's true. <laughs> you can't get to the moon just by wanting to go there. It takes billions of dollars worth of research and equipment to get you to the surface of the moon and then back home. Remember, the destination is not the moon. It's getting back here. You can't get to heaven just by wanting to go there. Somebody has to provide you with the transportation. Somebody, first of all, has had to pay the price. Because we've messed up things so badly that there's no possibility of us ever getting there through our own efforts. It's simply not possible. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth. You think the great story of mankind is leaving earth to go to the heavens? Oh, no. No, the great story of all ages is that God himself came from heaven to hear, condescending from that glorious perfection that he had known, that place of honor that he had known in the Father's presence, and he came here to endure this awful, wicked world. To the point that wicked people put him to death on the cross. And he endured it all in order to pay the fare. 
And it is only through Jesus that heaven becomes our destination because we cannot get there on our own. There isn't enough rocket fuel. There isn't enough technology. There's not enough scientific knowledge to overcome all that would separate us and that keeps us from heaven. It simply is not possible. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ is the way. It's not possible for me to convey to you the wonder and the glory of heaven. We could talk about the streets of gold. We can talk about the beautiful gates and the walls that are built on the foundation of valuable stones. We can talk about how wondrous and glorious it will be to hear the angelic host and all of the hosts of heaven singing and proclaiming the Trishagion, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, it will be far more glorious than we can possibly imagine. As I think of Bill Siebert lying on his bed in the nursing home telling me as he was getting ready to leave here, Pastor, last night I dreamed of colors that I've never seen in this life. And I heard music like I've never heard in this life. Notes and chords and harmonies that are beyond anything I've ever heard. It will be more beautiful than than our minds could imagine. Indeed, the scripture tells us, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, 7 to 10, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And so revealed to us in the Scriptures are the things that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross. And so if we think of heaven to be like anything, think of it this way. Just what is Jesus able to accomplish for us in his perfect life and sinless death as he atoned for our sins, as he completed the work and was able to say from the cross, it is finished, the debt is paid. What is Jesus able to purchase for us? And then, my friends, you will begin to have just a small idea of what awaits us. Far more glorious and far more wonderful than our minds can possibly imagine. But to get to the destination, it means you have to have the right transportation. And that means repenting and trusting in Christ alone. No other prophet, no other teacher, no other brilliant individual can do for you what Jesus has done. He is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. And so it is the Lord Jesus Christ that we proclaim to you here. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that we study in the scriptures and that we marvel over and that we think about when we go to bed at night because we realize that he has never done anything by half measures and heaven will be what it is because Jesus has gone to prepare it for us. And may God bless you that together on this journey, one day in that final destination, we'll realize that all of this has just been practice. And reality exceeds it far beyond what we could have imagined here. So where are you headed? I'm headed home. It's not in the mountains and it's not in southwest Florida. It's where Jesus has gone. And my place is with him. I've enjoyed being here with you. I've sure had a high old time. 
But something better is coming and I can't get it off my mind. How many days are left, I don't know. But I'm getting closer to Jesus. I got one less day to go. Heavenly Father, would you please bless us together to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to know what he has purchased for us, to know how gracious and good and kind he is to welcome any who would come to him. I cannot fathom, O God, that you would save a sinner like me. I cannot comprehend that you would give such a glorious, eternal home to someone so undeserving as me. And so, gracious Father, I bow my head and I confess to you the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my rock and my fortress and my hope. And I don't mean wishful thinking. He is my hope, my sure and certain Savior. And so, Lord, as we pray together, would you please work in each heart, whether present here and sitting in a chair in this place or watching virtually. Father, would you please do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do in revealing those things that you have shown us in your word and demonstrated through the Lord Jesus Christ, convincing us of sin and drawing us irresistibly to the Savior so that by your grace we may trust in him alone and in no other. And that, Father, in your good time, you'll carry us safely home. And that in that destination, we will realize that for which we have been created as we worship and glorify you. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more death or dying, no more mourning or grieving. And you will wipe every tear from our eyes. Bless us, O oh Lord, to live life as those who belong there. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we all get to heaven, Let's stand and sing it together.
Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.